Hello, back to Irish Football Fan TV. We're finally back. It's been Christmas. Everyone's had a little break. Gary, I haven't seen. I've spoken to you since we've probably gone away. I think the last time I seen you was the video for the the team of the season for the strikers. This is the last video I've seen you for. So, how are you? How was Christmas? All good, Paul. Yeah, nice and quiet. Um, but uh, nice and uh, it was good to to catch up. Pubs obviously closed, so I couldn't go out and socialise so much, but maybe that's a good thing. What's a regular Christmas for you? Well, a regular Christmas, I, I, I always go, go back to Limerick. So a regular Christmas would be catching up with friends and family. So I did get to see my dad, um, myself and the kids, we were wearing masks and he was wearing a mask as well. But so we have, he's 81, so I have to be very careful, obviously. But um, there's friends I'd normally catch up with, obviously, that I couldn't meet this Christmas. But um, hopefully next Christmas. How about yourself? Did you a good Christmas? Ah, yeah, it was just a quiet one. I was up to Sisters on Christmas Day with my nephew um, and my mum. And then on Stephen's Day, I went out to my brothers. So I got to see both my little nephews. And uh, yeah, it's just quiet. I, I like uh, I like a quiet Christmas, though. I don't like making a fuss. I don't care about the presents or anything like that. It's just about kind of who's there what, and, and just kind of having a bit of a crack. Do you know what I mean? A few cans, you know yourself, and just enjoying yeah. it really. Um, don't really be looking for much for Christmas, you know yourself. So. But yeah, we are here to talk about the highs and lows of 2020. Not that there's too many highs, but uh, we're going to, I suppose, discuss the years or discuss the, the, the things that happened throughout this year. Also, if people want to get involved in the comments, because we're live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter right now. So if people want to get involved in the comments and they want us to discuss things, but kind of have it, kind of starting off the year, and the first kind of topic that I have is obviously Mick McCarthy leaving uh, the job, obviously with COVID, and then Stephen Kenny coming in. So just to kind of bring you back to that, you know, COVID came in, Probably the last kind of action Mick McCarthy would have had to take was just before March. There was the, um, it was just after I'd been over with Michael Obafemi and there was talk whether he was going to be in the squad in March because he'd been playing well for Southampton. So it was around then that would have been Mick's last squad going into that playoff. The playoff was obviously moved up, moved back then or moved forward, whatever way you want to look at it. So that was probably Mick's last action publicly. Uh, he then is i suppose dismissed but kind of what was your initial thoughts when mick had been relieved of his duties yeah well mick i think in fairness mick stepped aside and i think he was happy to let stephen have a go i mean at the time look look it happened at the wrong time for us i think even it's easy to look back in hindsight and say that but i mean it definitely did the plan had been because qualifying for the euros was so important was to get Mick in to do a short-term job, get us to the Euros, and then Stephen to do the job of rebuilding, changing the style of play, etc. So, um, yeah, my initial my initial thoughts was, yeah, it's um, at the time I said, yeah, it's it's probably the right decision, um, because what do you do if Mick starts in the Nations League, and then where do you change over? So maybe it made sense to. To, to make the break then and give Stephen a clear run at it. But obviously it did change the dynamic for Stephen coming into the job because suddenly there was going to be a, a huge amount more pressure 
because obviously the playoff coming up so soon, having taken the reins. And I, I think the, the pressure changed completely then. I think uh, had things happened as planned with no COVID, whatever happened with Mick, whether we beat Slovakia and went on and beat Bosnia and Northern Ireland uh, or qualified for the Euros, or whether we got knocked out, I think Stephen would have had a lot more freedom because the Nations League was always going to be seen as uh, as a rebuilding phase and it didn't really matter too much. And, I, and I'm still happy enough to say it was a rebuilding phase. But unfortunately, the playoff coming right slap bang in the middle of that does change things. And uh, so, look, looking back with hindsight now, it would have been great if Mick had stayed, you know. I mean... Would we have had a better chance against Slovakia? Uh, probably, but then where would we be and what would have happened? Who knows? I mean, we we lost in a penalty shootout anyway, which is a bit of a lottery. But, um, yeah, I mean, what do you say? It's, uh, at the time, yeah, probably the right decision, but I suppose looking back with hindsight, was it the wrong thing? Well, you know, there's always going to be two sides of the coin on this one, you know. If Mick had it came in, would we have been, you know, playing? I just feel as though Mick and Martin O'Neill didn't have much between them in terms of the way they played football. I know Mick brought a bit more belief and confidence among the squad, and the players seemed to enjoy being around each other a lot more in the squad with Mick there. But in terms of the style of play in which he was playing, and look, it was effective, I suppose you could say. And defensively, we were very, very good, but offensively, not so good. Um. So kind of you 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 look at that aspect. Stephen came in, changed it up, and I think it's worked out well for Mick. As you said, he stepped aside. He has the job now at Applewell. He's probably going to be bringing Jack Byrne over there, which is which is a nice little coup for him. But you you're looking at okay, Mick's. I I felt as though Mick was wishing Stephen well. I heard him on the Paddy Power podcast the other week wishing him well and stuff like that. And I think people, when Stevens first came, I think Mick was on commentary and people were saying that he was bad mouthing him, this, that, and the other. I think people were just taking a way out of context. I think Steven came in and had a couple of things went differently in that game. We could be sitting here, well, we could have at least been talking about a playoff final. Look, if the Howerhin ch- chance goes in or the Alan Brown one off the post goes in, it's a totally different game. you got to remember as well, on the flight over, the... Aaron Connolly, Adam Eda situation. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Connolly was a massive loss because he was he was in good form and it proved that. I mean, we were lacking up front; we couldn't score a goal. I mean, you mentioned, yeah, we had two great chances. I think over the hundred and twenty minutes, if anybody deserved to win it, we probably did. Having said that, Slovakia were also denied some of their best players through COVID as well. So they yeah. they really suffered as well. So um look, it's one of it's it was always going to be a very tight game with Slovakia. And I mean it proved that it, it, it we needed penalties to separate us after 120 minutes. And probably I, I thought as I said, if anyone deserved to win it on the 120 minutes, we probably did. But in fairness, I thought a draw was probably a fair result. And then you're down to the lottery of penalties. And look, it, it was a lottery, you know. Yeah, we're kind of, you're looking at that, Gary. And, uh, you know, we spoke about Mick McCarthy and, and Martin O'Neill there about how they kind of their style of play was quite similar. And I think you'd agree with that. But Stephen came in with a totally new 
approach to things. And I didn't think, in as you said, we probably deserve to win that game. I didn't think we played badly. It's just ultimately we, we haven't been able to score goals and we'll obviously come on to, the fa- to that fact as well. But just you're looking at it and you're thinking, right, we ha- we we're doing all the right things, but we just can't get the ball in the net. But we were missing players as well. I know they were missing players too. I respect that and stuff like that. But um, I think at that time Aaron Connolly could have been a real difference just because he was sharp. He was scoring goals for Brighton at the time, and Stephen knows what you know. He knows how to use him. He's used him for the twenty ones effectively, and he's got the that turn of pace that I don't think McLean has anymore. He's obviously he's 10 years younger than him or whatever, but he has that turn of pace and he has that little spark about him. I think you've seen that in some of the other games previous to that, um, the, the Nations League games earlier than that. Um, I think there's one where, where he was a Bulgaria where he looked really good in that game and he looked nailed on to be that left winger in that position. And I thought in those games we played well. Again, we we didn't score goals. Shane Duffy obviously score, scored the only goal. Um, but it, it is that thing where... This is going to take time to, to try and change. And I've seen positive changes in the way that we're playing. I know people are saying, oh, yeah, positive changes. This, that, you know, still can't score a goal. And everyone's going mad about that. But And you are going to be judged on results, and I get that. But f- from a playoff point of view, I felt as though we were unlucky there. And I do still feel like we've been unlucky. You have to remember, going into the rest of those Nations League games, how many times did COVID really mess us up? Like, nearly every, every match... And every squad, there was a, a worry about who are we missing? How do we go about this? Who are we going to bring in? And I have to say, for everybody who pulled out, to everybody that came in, I thought done a decent job. Yeah, I mean, there were... Yeah, look, we were missing so many players. Some of the games, Wales at home and in Finland, the way we were missing nearly an entire first eleven. And, and yeah, I mean, players like Jay Malumby in particular came in and, yeah, did more than decent job and put their hand up for selection. So, yeah, it's not all it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, Stephen, I'm sure, has learned an awful lot about players, um, some of it by necessity, that he, he was forced to blood players maybe a little bit earlier than he'd planned. And uh, I, I do take your point about... Uh, playing well in some of these games and not being able to put the ball in the net probably uh, amplifies some issues. I mean, I remember back to the time when Robbie Keane was in his pomp and he'd score a goal out of nothing and it changes the whole dynamic. It changes the result. It changes the, the there's a suddenly a feel-good factor. And I, I think in one game in particular, we won away to Cyprus 2-1 in 2009. And uh, we ended up, obviously, that, that was the, the playoff for the 2010. We ended up in the playoff for the 2010 World Cup and missed out over Henri. But, I mean, only for his late goal there, you, we would have been talking about a very, very disappointing draw against a poor Cyprus team. And Robbie Keane pulled it out of the fire with, what, seven or eight minutes to go, if I remember rightly. And, uh, yeah, what would I would what we, we would give for a young uh, Robbie Keane at the moment? Now, unfortunately, we don't have that. We don't have a goal scorer. Um, so we we need to get goals from all over the, the pitch. And uh, But I, I, I suppose the other thing is it is it is a total change of style. So it is it is going to take some time. And uh, but then you as you said as well, Stephen's going to be judged by results. And uh, unfortunately, 
it hasn't it hasn't started well and uh, i don't know football can be very cruel i mean look what a time to be thrust in as manager in the midst midst of a global pandemic no fans at the game um players pulling out of the squads left right and center so um and it looks like even by march now things won't be really any different um so look i don't know it's been it, it's been a bad year obviously but i i'm still there's, there's hopeful signs uh for the future and definitely some some very good young players uh, who hopefully will be around for a long time to come. Yeah, well, I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll go and speak about the League of Ireland now and we'll come back to a couple of things that happened just before the year went out and obviously players who are kind of coming into their club and doing well and stuff like that. So we'll end the year on a little bit of a high in terms of our younger players coming through and doing well. But just to kind of go back a little bit, just to, to kind of march, and we didn't know whether we were going to have a League of Ireland season or not and there was so much worry about, you know, can we finish the season? Me, myself and yourself were at the Dundalk and Rovers game. That was a spicy affair. 3-2, Jack Byrne scoring that late goal. And that set the, the standard for the season. It looked like it was going to be a really good, entertaining season. Really competitive season. And then a couple of weeks later, or it might have been a week later. Um, I can't remember. But a few weeks later anyway, the, the games get postponed, the league gets postponed, uh, Premier League gets postponed, everything gets shut down, no one knew what was going on, the world itself was in limbo, nobody knew what was going on, no one knew if the Premier League was going to be null and void, never mind the League of Ireland, we never knew what was going on, but I suppose one of the positives that I would definitely take out of this pandemic and kind of things that happened, and I know we couldn't fill the grounds and stuff like that, but the Watch LOI had been a fantastic service, I believe. Um, you know, anytime you wanted to watch a match, it was there, you could watch it, which you was never able to do before. But just before you go on to Watch LOI, what were your initial thoughts on the League of Ireland? Did you feel as though it was going to be completely banished? Or were you always hopeful that it was going to come back? Well, I suppose initially it had been a great start to the season going back before lockdown. I mean, you mentioned that game in Tala, which we were both at. And look, it was a full house. It was a fantastic game, as I said, three tutor overs. Jack Bourne was superb. Um, uh, I, I know it, it, it felt like it was significant as well that they came from behind uh, to win. Rovers had already started really well. They'd won in Daily Mount in the last minute. They'd hammered Cork. Another game, I know the Irish Times picked it as one of the sporting highlights of the season, was their 6-0 win over Cork where Graham Burke got the five goals. Uh, so, I mean, the pandemic and lockdown must have been a total disaster for Stephen Bradley because before lockdown, they looked the best team in the league. Everything was looking rosy for Rovers. They'd, they'd beaten Dundalk. Uh, I know there was another round of games or two rounds of games after that. When it locked down, initially it looked like it was only going to be for two or three weeks. And I thought, yeah, we've plenty of time to finish the season. The longer it went on, when you saw leagues getting called in Scotland and etc., you're thinking, wow, we are going to be in trouble. And I know the FAI, we were probably a little bit late coming back. And I think part of the thinking on that was, I think fans are really more important for our league than for other leagues because... 
we don't have huge sponsorship money. We don't have big TV income. So it's the paying spectator is really important for our clubs. And I think that's part of the reason we came back so late. And, and credit to everyone. Uh, and I mean this for getting the league finished because it was quite an achievement. And even, even we're sitting here tonight and thinking, uh, just seeing the, the, the reason we're on live is because the Man City Everton game is off tonight. And God, even is is the Premier League even going to finish? No, probably will. But I mean, it's um, there there are serious issues with COVID with leagues with a hell of a lot more money than than than, than washing around our league. So credit to get it finished. And look, it's it's really great it got finished. I know it was a reduced season, but I don't think anyone can argue that the best team won the league by a country mile. I think Rovers, as I said, they were the best team before lockdown. Uh, I, I thought it, it was probably a good thing for Dundalk because, and, and for the Bows, for all the chasing pack, that Rovers were the ones with the momentum, but they, they actually came back out of lockdown and uh, they, they just started off again like a train. And... I mean, really, I, I suppose right up to the win over Bose and Tala, maybe there was some doubt, but after that, the league was effectively over. And, and congrats to them, they were by far the best team and uh, and fully deserved their league victory. And I think whether you played 18 games, 27 or 36 games, they were always going to win the league this season. Yeah, I think they just look quite dominant from, from the word go, as you said, and over the stretch of the season, you know, obviously with, with all the break, they just never look like slowing down. Obviously, the, the, the cup final that Dundalk won, but other than that, no team really looked like troubling Rovers at all. Um, but just to go, just to backtrack a little bit, your thoughts on the Watch LOI, the streaming service, and then I'm going to move on to your thoughts then on Dundalk, obviously in the Europa League, because I think that was a pretty big high in terms of the League of Ireland seeing a team every week. On TV playing in the Europa League, and obviously you got to you were at the qualifying game and stuff like that. But just talk me through your thoughts on the Watch LOI streaming service. Yeah, so look, it's hugely important when fans can't go to games that the games are available to to view. And so from that perspective, Watch LOI was a godsend, and I thought it worked. It worked pretty well. There were a couple of teething issues. I mean, I it's suppose. Yeah, there's always going to be. I remember the, the, the couple of games I remember seemed to be in Turner's Cross, but I mean, I know there was issues with some games, but by and large, it, it worked really well. It was... Um, That's Aaron Howie down in Cork doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what the um, technical issues were, but it was it was great great to have it. It was very important that all games were available, and, and credit to some first division clubs who actually made their games available as well. Um, and I think I'm still hopeful that we will have fans at least for part of next season. But um, if if not, it well, if not, it definitely needs to continue. And there is an argument for it continuing anyway, even if fans do get back, because I believe there was quite a bit of take up abroad. Now, I suppose the one concern I'd have is the the viewing figures and the take up figures was a, a closely guarded secret. Um, so I, I hope it at least paid its way that it washed its face. That I don't know. But I think it's hugely important when fans can't go to games that they do have access 
to watch they, the games at home. They, they are looking at a start date, a restart date of the 26th of February for the league, and they're looking at keeping Watch Allah. I know uh, Gavin Cooney did a piece for the 42 the other day, and it was saying that they are proposed. So with a bit of luck, that'll obviously stay, which I think is a great service, and especially, as you said, for people overseas that can go and watch teams. If you don't want to buy a whole season ticket, you could just pay a fiver per game, which is handy. I did that a few times. Just wanted to watch a game, paid a fiver, and that was it. The other thing about it actually was, I mean, I, I think you're right, it probably will, as, as Gavin said, it probably will come back. You actually, I think you're automatically subscribed. I know some people weren't happy about that, but uh, once you signed up for a subscription this season, I think you were automatically subscribed for next season. So I think certainly, yeah, the plan will be to to keep it in place um, because it, it, it is a fantastic service. And uh, and it's as you say, it was absolutely incredible value. It was a really really good deal, uh, not to mind a five or a match, but the the deal for the whole lot was absolutely incredible. Um, I can't actually remember the prices at the off the top of my head. Now it was sixty or seventy quid for the year, um, or for the, the 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 part of the season after lockdown. So it was yeah, but you got all the games, so you didn't just yeah. get your team. You got the whole thing. I know what you're saying. I know. Exactly, yeah. So, and I mean, and, and the other thing I, lo- I really liked was uh, all the games were staggered. So, um, I don't think anyone, maybe some people did. You couldn't in the end, there was just so much football on that you couldn't watch them all. But what I did like was the games were staggered. Because there's no fans, there's no harm in playing at five o'clock in a midweek, six o'clock, whatever it was in a midweek evening. So, you could sit down and watch a couple of games straight through. So you had games, a couple of games on a Friday, a couple of games on a Saturday. So you could watch all five Premier Division games uh, of a weekend if you were so minded to. And uh, you're certainly getting your money's worth with that. Yeah, and I think we were lucky as well. Obviously, we got to work at some of the games. But I do feel as though like some of the games were awful to be at just because there was no fans. Especially me, myself and yourself, well, Ireland games, you were at the away ones and I was at all the home ones. It was just awful with no fans. And I think that is another thing that needs to come into Stephen Kenny as well. We all know how much the fans are such a massive push for for the team and for the manager. You look at under Mick numerous times, the the fans drove the team on, especially that Switzerland game. Do you remember when Didzy scored that goal? The place erupted and it was the noise in the place was unreal. And I think Stephen's kind of suffering a little bit from that, not having that momentum of the fans kind of driving you on for that last 20 minutes. You've seen it in the Premier League in recent weeks, some of the teams that have had fans, they've pushed them on. Um, but leaving in the League of Ireland, it was just very, it was very grim, wasn't it, without the fans? Yeah, it, it isn't the same. I mean, okay, some people will say there, there are some bonuses. You can hear what the managers are saying. You can hear a lot of the talking on the pitch. But you, it really, football... Uh, was it Bill Shankly? I think was it said or uh, football is nothing without fans. Could have got the the person who said that wrong. Apologies if so. The quote is right. But, I'm not sure if the person. But the yeah, no, I know the quote. I know the quote is right. But and it was one of the great managers. I'm not sure if it was Bill Shankly, but um, it was um anyway. And it's just so true because the now it was a privilege to be at the games and I really enjoyed being there. But it is not the same. I mean, I think back to that Rovers-Dundalk game in February. And, I mean, the fact that it was played in front of a full house in Tala, it just really made it. It was really special. And it was a brilliant atmosphere and a great uh, great advertisement for the league. 
But um, it hasn't been the same. And as you say, for the national team, Stephen Kenny, I think we miss we need fans and we miss fans more than most. Not just the, the you talked about the Switzerland game, the Aviva, and you can maybe talk about the Denmark game as well when we came so close at the end. But away from home, we always bring a really big traveling support. And when the team are under the cosh away from home, uh, the fans can often lift the team as well and really drive them on. And uh, that's really been missed as well. And it looks like we won't have any fans in Serbia. And in fact, it's quite possible there might be no away fans in 2021. But I, I hope that's not the case. But um, well, time will tell. I mean, who knows what's going to happen at this stage. But um, yeah, I think we do, uh, for the national team, we miss fans more than most. On the club side, um, yeah, I think it definitely it missed it. Now, maybe some players it probably helped in that uh, maybe the fans can get in their backs sometimes. So maybe it, I, I've heard it said that some players actually prefer this way to playing without the fans. But I think for the vast majority of people, we really, really need fans back at games. Well, I think I think some if 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 some players have that that they can't play in front of people, they they probably have a weak mentality. If I'm being honest, but I think some of the clubs that suffered were obviously shells suffered massively from having no fans and ultimately got relegated in the end. Cork probably did as well, and then just because we were going to go on to it anyway, but Dundalk in Europe could have done with fans in the Aviva Stadium, and I felt that that was probably the only real wasted chance of that because again I wanted to kind of come to you about Dundalk and obviously getting into the Europa League I haven't had such a weird they they probably had the strangest season of anyone because they've been so poor in the league at the start they sacked Vinnie Perth when he went and won like four trophies four trophies last year I think it was did they win the quadruple or was it the treble yeah they won um, well they won the league and they didn't win the FAI Cup Cup. They won the EA Sports Cup and they won the United Union Cup. I can't remember if they won the Leinster Cup. Um, I'm sure people jump in and tell me whether they won the Leinster Cup or not. But they they they, they had an, an unbelievable, a fantastic season in 2019. They only lost the FEI Cup final and penalties. And they probably will point to Chris Shields not being available as being a, a big factor in that. Um, having said that, he played in Tala in February. So, um, But anyway, so Dundalk had an unbelievable 2019. They started the season as favourites. Uh, we mentioned that game. It seemed pivotal at the time in February, and it's, it proved to be. Um, but even coming back out of lockdown, you would still think there were three points behind. The the league was, was up for grabs. And uh, just it wasn't the same Dundalk. And... Uh, they, they were poor. I mean, the first game back against Pats, they, they only drew in Oriel Park. Uh, I was only watching it on, was it Watch LOI? I was watching it on, I think, maybe it was live we on TV. Anyway, we did, we did we a did watch along on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, I was watching it on uh, on TV and uh, they only deserved, they only deserved to draw. I mean, if anyone deserved to win that match, it was probably Pats. And I think... Uh, when I said Rovers came back like a train, Dundalk were very sluggish, just um, weren't picking up the results. And uh, there appeared to be something wrong there uh, in the league form. And unfortunately for Vinny, um, football can be very cruel like that. And uh, he was out of a job. And I think um, I think there was probably low expectations uh, for their European run, I think they 
in the Champions League, they took. I don't think they did that badly against Celje, but they they took quite a, a beating in the end. Maybe a bit unlucky at one 0 down, could have equalised, but um, went into the Europa League, and they would have needed three wins to reach the group stage. And I don't think anyone gave them a cat's chance in hell of um, of reaching it. But um, well, they they went on some run. Uh, the the new management team with uh, Filippo and Giuseppe, you have to say hats off to them for for turning things around. I mean, they went to to Andorra. They got the expected win against Interscalas. I think you would expect a team from our league, even in a one-off tie, to always beat a team from Andorra. But up against Sheriff in a one-off tie away from home in Moldova. I, I they, look. I I didn't give Dundalk a hope. To be honest, um, it was a massive ask against a team with a far bigger budget, and certainly Sheriff would have been expected to win. And Dundalk played really well. I know it went to penalties, but they were the better team. And if anyone deserved to win the match, I thought it was Dundalk. And uh, thankfully, they came through in the penalty shooter. One of the great, one of the great results. Might get forgotten a bit because there was no fans there and because of COVID, but one of the great all-time results for our clubs in Europe. And uh, yeah, they were a bit fortunate to end up with Key Klaxovic in the in the playoff round. But look, they they got there. I think it was COVID helped them a little bit as well. But they, they pulled off a sensational. It was a 6-1 to beat Dinamo Tbilisi, which was some result. And, uh, well, you can only beat what's in front of you. And Dundalk uh, fully deserved their win and, and beat them 3-1 to qualify for the, the group stages. As you say, Look, it's a massive disappointment for Dundalk. I, I was at the group stage games in Tala in 2016, and there were fantastic occasions. And it would have been amazing for their fans. Uh, I would have loved to have been in the Aviv as well. I'm sure everyone would um, for their, their group stage games. And I think certainly the lack of fans. Um, I, I'm thinking back actually to the Maccabi game when Dundalk beat Maccabi in Tala. And it was absolutely rocking. And kind of thinking, one nil up in, against Molde and Tala, the same situation uh, in the first game was in Tala. Has, uh, one nil up against Molde, had, had they had a full house there, uh, would Molde have come back and beaten them? And then who knows what the dynamic might have been for the rest of the, the campaign. But um, So yeah, I think Dundalk certainly missed fans, particularly in the group stages, as you say, of the Europa League. Yeah, I think, well, I think it was, a, it was a missed opportunity for them, and it was nobody's fault. It, like, it was just the way the world is at the moment, and I feel as though if they maybe had had the fans there, there, there was games against Molde, as you said, um, the games against Vienna, that they, they probably could have got a bit more from, I think, with the fans kind of pushing them on a bit. Um, the Arsenal game, I know Arsenal are probably playing a second-string team, but they were still Arsenal have a, you know, they have good quality in their squad. And you see when their youngsters came in and played the other night against Chelsea, they batted Chelsea three uh, three one. Um, yeah, the the quality at Arsenal, even for the the players in that squad, is just they're just at a different level. I mean, the likes of Pepe, what did he cost? Tens of millions of euro, of euro per pound, eighty million, whatever it was. I mean. I, I don't think uh, Dundalk could be expected to compete with that and 
I think it was just great to be on the same pitch. And I don't think Dundalk were disgraced in either game against Arsenal. But it was the games against Rapid Vienna and Molde that they could have, maybe with fans, have got picked up a few points. Yeah, I think I think what was good as well, and it might sound a bit, I don't know, it might sound a bit cringy or it might sound a bit kind of like accepting, but it was nice to see an Irish club on the telly in the Europa League and people, you know, we did a lot of watch-alongs and like, people were cheering them on and stuff like that in the comments. I had people over in England ask me about Dundalk. Do you want to put bets on Dundalk to see if they'd win in the Europa League and stuff like that? So it was nice to have the interest around, I suppose, in a League of Ireland club because... You only ever really hear of people abroad talking about either Shamrock Rovers or Shelburne for what they did against Deportivo many moons ago now. But it was nice to just hear someone talking about a League of Ireland club in Europe and kind of having that interest of having them on the TV, whether it was BT Sport or whether it was Virgin Media. It were on either or. And it was it gave you a chance to, it gave us a chance to do watch alongs, but also watch them in a in a really good club competition, which, you know, most Premier League clubs would like to be in the competition. And so to see an Irish club in the group stages was brilliant. And it's hopefully something that we could build on in the near future. Now, I don't know what's going on at the club. They just seem to be letting everybody go for the sake of it at the minute. Um they've obviously signed a couple of players back and stuff. We'll probably we'll be doing something on that probably at a later date, but um, just in terms of them, it was great to see them in the League of Ireland. But just kind of just a couple of things to to kind of finish up on. Um, so I think it's probably worth noting before we go on to the England stuff, uh, the, the 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 crap in the camp and stuff like that. But the twenty ones are probably the women's. I think the rise of the twenty ones. I wouldn't say the rise and fall, but I'd say the rise of the twenty ones is probably one high I would take out of this year. The the women. And the level of interest that they've gotten this this year alone, I know they didn't qualify it in same with the 21s, but I have to say the interest in both was really nice to see, I think, for this year. Yeah, I mean, we take the 21s and we go back to the, 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 the comments about Mick, if Mick had stayed on. I mean, the other point would be if Mick had stayed on with the senior team for the playoff, Stephen would probably have stayed with the under-21s and we probably would have made the finals. I mean, yeah, the twenty ones first of all was a major, major disappointment. I mean, we came into the autumn in fantastic shape to qualify, and uh, we had a chance with Italy in that they their whole squad was wiped out for COVID. And uh, now any Italian team they put out, even they put out the under twenty team, was still a serious prospect. But even taken, okay, we we didn't perform and we lost uh, that one, but. Even still, we had the situation where we needed to beat Iceland and Tala to qualify for the final, effectively, because we were always going to win in Luxembourg. And unfortunately, we couldn't do it. And, th- and that was a major blow to to lose that game. And uh, I suppose that was a disappointment because we'd never qualified for under-21 finals. And that was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, the women's team... Day. Well, day. yeah, Tala, I know you, you were at the game, Paul, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just the weather. Everything about that day was was horrible. So, and, uh, the results, and that was that was the day Shells got relegated to in the playoffs. That was the same day. And there wasn't there, wasn't there another game on that day as well? Yeah, we well, I was in Cardiff. We lost to Wales that evening as well. The senior so it was team, a proxy day. just to come round us, you know. What can um, go wrong will go wrong, and it did that yeah. day. So on on the women's team, I mean, the interest 
it was fantastic to see the interest because uh, they're often the women's team has often been forgotten about. Uh, it got fantastic coverage, games live and RTE. Uh, they played really well. We put ourselves um, in a fantastic position to qualify. And ultimately, it came down to the game in Kiev against Ukraine. A draw would have put us in the playoffs. And, uh, oh, talk about poxy game, everything going wrong. I mean, okay, I was only watching it on TV, but we conceded a horrendous own goal. And then Katie McCabe, so reliable from the penalty spot, missed the penalty, and we absolutely battered Ukraine and she just bar, could not score. She? she hit the bar, yeah, but it yeah. still wasn't a great penalty. Um, and uh, we just battered them. We just could not score. And uh, I thought they were incredibly lucky to hang on and win 1-0. Um, Germany was always going to be too big an ask, but we played really well. We scored the first goal, given again, it's first goal, the only goal Germany conceded in qualifying. And even at 2-1 down, we were still having a right go, and they, 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 they broke away to get the third and, and finish the game. But it was in Kiev that it was lost, and a, a fantastic opportunity missed for women's football. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's really completed. I mean, oh, what a, a terrible year 2020 has been for our national national football teams, senior men, senior women, and under 21s. Yeah, not a good, not a good year. But I think I think what's happened there is a lot more people are, I suppose, in the know now about who the good up and coming players are for the under-21s. A lot more people taking a lot more notice of the players that are coming through. And there is a lot of players coming through, and we will get to that. Uh, and then in terms of the women, I mean, people were talking about the women's team when we played against Germany. And I thought we gave Germany a good game, considering they're probably, you know, I, I know a lot of pundits saying they're the second best team in the world after the USA. Um, it depends on what way you look at it. I don't really know. But I felt as though we gave them a really good game. And it never should have been a penalty. It won't dive. She basically put her leg against Katie McCabe's leg, dive for the penalty, and then they, they got the penalty. And we were doing well up until that point because I thought we were knocking the ball around well. We were we were kind of keeping our shape well. Everything was organised and disciplined. And then that happened, and it just really put a spanner in the works. We obviously then got back into it. Uh, but I think it was a 2-1 we got back into it, wasn't it? Because they'd scored two, then we got the... Yeah. Yeah, and then... yeah. But, but mean, we had the, to we had to win the game though, so it was always I think it was always going to be a massive ask to yeah, beat Germany. The, so. the, the character shown to you know even still put it up. It was a very Irish like performance, and I know we probably failed the final hurdle. But um, and as you said, the Ukraine game was a, was a was a kind of that was make or break really, wasn't it? But I still think there's hope there for the future for for this team. And as Vera said, she thinks that. They're gonna go on and do good things. There's still a lot of players there that have only just gone over to England and only starting and, and other countries. I know Louise Quinn is at Fiorentina and there's obviously other players playing in USA. Denise O'Sullivan's going back to the USA now as well. So there's loads of um I suppose there's loads of positives to take into the next year. And I think that's a lot for even with a lot of stuff we're talking about this in this video, there's a lot to take into next year. But just kinda on to because it was kind of November time. Obviously, we had that England friendly, which would have, I think, we would have, that would have been a playoff final had we, we have beaten Slovakia. So we had to play um, England instead. I think we would have had Bosnia otherwise 
other than COVID, we probably would have played Bosnia. I think that was the way it was set up. Anyway, we didn't, and we played England in a friendly. A lot of uh, eyebrows were raised as to why we played the game. I could have, I could have understood it. It was close by, and it was a game just to kind of test ourselves. A lot of people were saying, "Why are we playing against England?" And you know, their top-ranked team in Europe, we're just going to embarrass ourselves. Then we obviously played them. A couple of players missing, Seamus Coleman, I know was missing and stuff like that. But then after the game, we obviously got beat. But but after the game or a couple of days after the game, or even, was it even a couple of, was it after the games themselves, after the international break was when it came out, or was it during the international break? Can you remember? Off the top of my head, no, I can't. Um... I think, I think we played a, another game against Finland, and then it came out after the Finland game. I think that's, I think that's the way it came. But anyway, um, Stephen Kenny had showed a video to the squad, a historical video. I don't know the whole, uh, the whole video or, or what the what everything was but I basically believe that it wasn't that bad Damien Duff went even on RTE there recently enough I think for the Dundalk game he was talking about it saying you know it was ridiculous that someone was trying to report it Stephen came out and said that he feel, felt as though I don't know if it was people within the camp or something but seemed to want to cause hassle or something basically so, something along those lines anyway he said that in a press conference but uh so it seemed to be a real weird one, and you're kind of thinking, okay, why is there someone within the camp trying to spread this nonsense? We're obviously not enduring a, a, a good campaign. We've no fans to also come into the fact that we don't have, you know, every time we had so many players for every game, we had so many players missing. You, even that England game, you go after Seamus Cole was missing, that he got picked up a hamstring injury. Aaron Connolly picked up an injury in training as well. Then you're kind of mixing all that in but your thoughts kind of on that video i think you'd already we've done a video on it before but just kind of we have to talk about it because it's part of one of the lows of the year yeah i mean i suppose we can talk about we don't really know what happened i mean uh, whether somebody had a problem whether it just got blown out of proportion I, i i'm not sure uh what i would say is if you're winning matches these things get forgotten about very quickly and blown over and when things are going wrong and you're losing games everything then becomes a drama and becomes a crisis so um yeah i mean nobody knows what was in the video or what was said along with it uh or even who exactly had a problem and what exactly the problem was so um yeah look uh, we can talk about it i don't have you did mention playing England. I don't think we had any particular choice really given the COVID. I think trying to get players released to go to Bosnia, given the amount of cases in the Balkans at the time, would have been a, a total disaster for the clubs. And England's friendly had been cancelled. They wanted to play us. We were playing in Cardiff the following Sunday. So I think it made perfect sense to play them. And you don't really turn down England for a friendly. And uh, who knows? I don't know what the deal was. But... Uh, I would hope the FAI got a commitment from England that maybe they'll come maybe back as part of the centenary celebrations next year. I don't know. I'm only guessing. But I'm sure the FAI got something in return, whether it's um, whether it's just a fee for playing the game or whether it's a, a commitment from England to come and, come and play a return match in Dublin. That I'm hoping it is a return match in Dublin, obviously. But um, So I don't have a particular problem with playing the England-friendly. Yeah, the video and whatever was said... It, is pretty much unfortunate um 
uh, was it a mountain made out of a molehill? I don't know. Um, I but as know. I said, yeah, if if we were winning matches, I, I, I think these things get forgotten about very quickly. Yeah, well, look, it, it was it was a low to add to many of the lows that were happening at that time. I felt as though Stephen Kenny could not catch a break. I think a lot of people forget that he hasn't had the players that he probably wants at his disposal, not through injury, through COVID. So I think it's only fair to probably judge him when he has his his, his you know favorite team that he wants to pick or the team that he had in his head, which we may not, we don't know when that may be that he actually gets to pick his full strength first choice squad or first choice 11. But just to kind of finish on a kind of positive, because we always like to finish on a positive. Um, all right, well, obviously we scored one goal in 2020, the Shane Duffy header. So we're not going to finish on that. But what we did do is throughout the COVID and throughout this spell, it was a chance to bring in players, Adam Eda, Jason Malumbi, Jason Noy, Darrow Shea, just to name a few. Quivin uh, Kelleher was obviously in and out of the squad as well, training with the with the team as well. Am I missing anybody there off the top of the top of my head? Well Aaron Connolly, I suppose, had already, he'd already been established under Mick McCarthy, but he's he's look, I think he's an automatic choice at this point now. Um, yeah, but they, they all came in and I felt as though the majority of them I think Adam Eda got gotta remember he hasn't played that much club football. A lot of people are like, Oh, he's not good, he's not this and that. he's a strong lad built very very well and I think look Norwich are after to give him a new contract there I think the, the future is bright for him he just needs time um, and everyone's going to keep on going you can't say time 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 well you're going to have to give him time I, I think um, it might be worthwhile maybe starting James Collins ahead of him for the time being uh, just to, to kind of ease Adam into it maybe but Stephen seems to really like him he goes on about his goals going record at underage level uh, Troy was another player I meant to mention, but he hasn't had really the best of 2020s, let's be honest. Uh, then I look at Dara O'Shea, who was a real star in the team, and look at his performances week in, week out now, playing Premier League. He got promoted with West Brom. I suppose he is probably the highlight of 2020 in terms of that, because the, he had some positive stories, came into the Premier League, done really well, came in, made his debut. Then it was his debut against Finland, and he started... Yeah, he, he, I mean, he only got his chance because of COVID, but he, he's looked to the manner born. He's been, he's been superb for us. Uh, he was superb in Helsinki and he's been, uh, he, and he, he's, he's got his place. Well, he, I suppose he never really lost his place in West Brom, did he? But he's playing it right back and he's playing at centre half. And, uh, yeah, I was actually really disappointed. I have a huge amount of admiration for Big Sam and Sam Allardyce. Since even I remember him fondly from my time in Limerick. It was probably a big disappointment that he actually got the West Brom job, but it's good to see that Dara is keeping his place and playing really well. He has played really well for West Brom, and he looks uh, he looks one that's going to be around our defence for many years to come. So, yeah, definitely... Uh, a big one. Uh, Jay Malumbi, you mentioned, I think Jay Malumbi has been superb for us. Again, another player probably got his chance in the home game against Finland because of other players being not available. Uh, he's played incredibly well for us. He hasn't got his chance in Brighton. He's hardly, he's only made the bench once or twice. I think he, he did make his Premier League debut, but only for a few minutes. Um, yeah, I'd love to see him go out. against Villa, I think. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to see him go out on loan or get some game time. Uh, 
in, in the new year. But um, and I, I, to be honest, I don't understand why he's uh, from his Irish performances. I don't understand why he's not at least on the bench or not playing for Brighton. He has been on but, the bench, but he just hasn't been. He hasn't been selected. Uh, I think he came out in an interview yeah. and he said that Graham Potter has spoken to him and he wants him to stay and fight for his place. But I think. At this stage, he's not getting enough football. January is obviously just around the corner, quite literally. It's in a few days. I think you may see him get a, a move somewhere else. But he did have the option to go to Millwall, said no, and decided to stay and fight for his place. We do have good players in there. You've got Lalana and Basuma um, and a couple of other good players in there that are a bit more established than Jason at the moment. Although you would say now he's, a, he's an international and he's probably earned his spot in the middle of that park. But I do think he needs to be playing to be earning a regular spot come March. And I think if he does get a, a loan move, wherever that may be, or if he does, um, or maybe he might get blessed with a couple of injuries or something at Brighton, not that I wish any injuries on anybody, but if that is the case, I'm sure he can come in and step it up because we need him playing come March if that is the case. I do think as well, Jason Knight has been um, brilliant since he came into the Derby team, obviously got his chance through COVID. He was with the 21s got bumped up it's probably to the detriment of the 21s but he got bumped up we got to see what he could do at senior level he came in and played that game in the Aviva what game was that now again I think it was Bulgaria was Bulgaria yeah. Um, yeah. and he came on and he was brilliant that night he did a couple of things where he nearly cost us a goal but other than that I think he had a brilliant game and he kind of showed that he's going to be one of these players that could be around. And the beautiful thing about him is he can play on the wing, he can play in midfield, he can play off the striker. So there's numerous different positions that he can slot in. And again, didn't look out of place at international level. Um, Aaron Connolly doesn't look out of place at international level. So all these players that are there now will obviously come into Stephen's thoughts come March. And I think Stephen said as well, that the games that they play will come in good stead for them come in to, the fact as well Darrow Shea can play right back if we need him to as well is, is obviously a, a big bonus and left back so it's a great bonus to have him in there if Shane Duffy and John Egan are fully fit and firing on all cylinders they obviously have to start so you have those two players on either or you have Darrow Shea can play in either of those positions if Enda Stevens or Matt Doherty or Seamus Coleman are out so you like to see that strength and depth in terms of defence. Another player I want to touch on, another two players actually I want to touch on as well, probably didn't get international recognition, but Nathan Collins has been absolutely superb in yeah. the last couple of months. Obviously didn't do that well against Iceland, getting sent off and stuff like that. But other than that, for Stoke, he's been brilliant. He's been putting in really good performances, scoring a few goals recently. He's an absolute unit, the size of him for his age. Um, I think again he can come in and do a job for us in, in the future and I do think that maybe come March time you may see him being brought in instead of maybe Kevin Long or something who hasn't been playing so you never know I think Stephen, Stephen would make that decision and then just lastly a player who's been in and out the squad training Quivin Kelleher came in and done brilliantly for Liverpool Uh in those games, the Champions League against Ajax, and then he had his Premier League, I think, debut against uh, Wolves as well, and he was superb in both games. Klopp, you know, legging it over to him, giving him hugs and stuff like that, showed how much he can step up. So I think there's a lot of ingredients of a spine of a team there that can be there for the future to mix him with what we already have. 
Yeah, and Nathan Collins is a great shout. I mean, and you mentioned the goals he scored. The big thing about I mean, he's a centre half. Stokes' defence has been phenomenal. They've been on some run of clean sheets, and I can't remember the exact figures, but it's been really impressive. They've been defending very well. They're not conceding goals, and he's a big part of that. And, uh, yeah, I think we certainly have a lot of talent at the back. And uh, I, I wouldn't be ruling Darrow Shea out, even with everyone being fit as starting in Belgrade, because he is just playing so well at the moment and, and looks so good. And uh, he has to be he has to be in the mix. Um, Nathan Collins will probably make the squad. Maybe he would have had to get more time. I'm actually not even sure if he's suspended now with that red card and how that works for the how many games he would have got, etc. Anyway, um, so yeah, Quiven Kelleher, look, he's at Liverpool, and uh, you don't you don't be at a club like that um, without having serious talent and when he when he got his chance in those three games he played against Michelin as well I think the only goal he conceded in the three games was a penalty um, I don't think he gave it away I'll admit that but still I mean uh, th that's uh, pretty spectacular and he's probably usurped Adrian now as being the uh, as being the second choice uh, which is absolutely phenomenal and uh yeah, Klopp ran on and, and gave him a hug. Why not? He was absolutely, I'm sure he was absolutely, he was clearly absolutely delighted with him. And uh, yeah, it's it's great for it's great for us that he got the chance. And and you have Gavin Bazunu as well. I mean, he's been injured. I, I think he's been injured for lately. I'm not sure if he made it back into the Rochdale team over Christmas, but I know he's been out for a few weeks with Rochdale. He's one, uh, again, a very young goalkeeper, and he's definitely one for the future as well. So we could be very well served. I mean, Darren Randolph is still a quality keeper, and hopefully a good few years left as well. So definitely in the goalkeeping position and at the back, I think, and in, in midfield, actually, things look really good for the future. Um, and the hope will be that likes of Troy Parrott, Adam Ida, etc., do come through to provide options up front because that's where uh, that's where things, I suppose, are a bit thin on the ground at the moment. But um, hopefully that will change. I mean, Aaron Connolly accepted, who looks a, a really quality player and a good attacker, but probably not a, a lot of goals in him, but certainly would be, I think, a nailed-on starter uh, for us going forward. But ideally, someone like Troy Parrott or Adam Ida uh, to come through as a, as a main striker and someone to bang in the goals. I just would like to see us maybe, and I know we've come to all this stuff probably in March, but I would like to see us maybe go with a two up front and that being Connolly and Robinson would as being the two up front and like they do at club level, I know not so much probably Callum Robinson at the moment, but he did last year. He was part of a two up top and Connolly is with Maupoy at, or, or Welbeck. At Brighton, so he's used to it. I think that could help either of them because if they're playing a ball and they're kind of, you know, playing balls in over the top or in behind, the both of them have pace and both of them could score goals. I know they probably don't do it enough, but they can score goals and they are able. So it would be interesting to see how that would work. Then you have options, like you said, Adam Eda, Troy Parr, if Troy's just talk of Troy coming back from his loan at Millwall because it hasn't been working out and maybe going loan elsewhere, but, uh, because obviously he had a bad injury and stuff like that, but hopefully his 2021 can be better. Someone just said in the comments there, Tom Webb, no, surely Collins up top. Um, 
Well, that's kind of just it, but if people want to get a couple of comments in just before we finish up, if there was anything that they felt like we had missed out, or Gary, if you felt like there was anything on the list that you wanted to bring up, feel free to, to do it there now. Um, we'll stay on for another 10, 15 minutes if there's some good comments. I don't think the four four two is a realistic option, Paul. I was, I, thinking, I, think Steve, I was thinking of a three five two. Or even a three five two. Um uh, Stephen has always played the same way and he's normally played with with one striker from what I what I can remember and with the, the three up top or if you want to say the, the five in midfield with the two two going forward. So um I I don't know. Maybe he'll Maybe well, he, he will change the, it, but he said in a press conference that he'd have no problem going with it too. I mean, if I was thinking about it right now, about the the, the team I'd probably play in March and the way I wanted us to play, and it's not going to be the way we're going to play. But if I was to think about it just off the top of my head, I would have Randolph and goal. I'd have a back three: Darrow Shea, John Egan, Shane Duffy, Ender Stevens left wing back, uh, Matt Darty right wing back. Although Seamus has been playing quite well, so that would be that is literally either or. It doesn't matter to me either or can play there. Um, then in midfield, probably be Malumbi, Howrahan, and maybe Jack Byrne, if you're all going well with Applewell. And then you have the two of either Robinson and Connolly or, or something like that. That would be a nice team to kind of start off with, I think, because you have the protection there of Howrahan. Or it could even be James McCarthy again. That's another either or. And then you have Malumbi, who will get box to box, can get in the box maybe to help out and obviously get back and defend. And you have Jack Byrne, who can pull the strings and maybe release the, the the strikers into better positions. I think that could work out well because obviously Stevens plays at uh, at, at Sheffield United. Matt Doherty's kind of in and out with that with Spurs at the minute, but you know we've seen how well he can play. Obviously at Wolves in that in that formation, if he's allowed to get forward, and if he had the protection there, as I said, in the midfield. Although I'm going on as if I'm some you know genius tactician and stuff like that, but this is just kind of the way I would like to see us line up. It's probably not going to happen, but I think that could be a good scenario. I think that you have pace and you have protection in there as well. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I think Matt Doherty's a bit unlucky because Serge Ori has been playing superbly for Tottenham. And they are playing the Spanish is it Quillion or whatever they, they they're playing with a very attack minded left wing back, so Region Region whatever yeah so they're playing with a very attack minded left wing back so they probably need someone like Aurier, uh who's probably more defensively focused than Matt Doherty uh, on the right hand side, but I think Matt did start the last game so um, hopefully he'll get more of a run in the team. As you said, we're well we're well covered at right back because it is a toss up between Seamus Coleman and, and Matt Doherty. Um it, it if, if Seamus Coleman is showing the form that he's been showing early on in the season for Everton, I would have him playing ahead of Matt Doherty. I think he's been playing better than Matt Doherty this season. Not to say the last couple of years Matt Doherty has been better. It may be as well be horses for courses. I mean, if you're away to Serbia, first game in the World Cup, I mean yeah, it is probably a game for Seamus Coleman. Home to Luxembourg, we need a win, we need goals. Then maybe you play somebody like Matt Doherty. But, I mean, yeah. look, who knows who's going to be available? I mean... Uh, he can also play that, that uh, right centre-back position as well. He's done that under Carlo Ancelotti as well. Uh, Seamus, so he's adaptable if he wants to put the two of them in the same team as well. 
Yeah, so I mean, it could be a question of who's available. Um, Callum Robinson is someone. Yeah, you you mentioned that he he had been in good form. We were unfortunate he missed out in the November games because of COVID, and uh, had scored a few goals in the Premier League as well. So um, he's probably well worth a shout. James Collins is in fine form in the Championship. Probably the only regular goal scorer we have that. Um, in the top two divisions, that the only one I can think of anyway. So he has to be in with a shout. Yeah, David, just... thanks for the video, lads. Would a diamond be a realistic option? I mean, diamond it could be. Two. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it could be an option. It's probably the way um, the way Stephen would play. I mean. I'm trying to think now who you'd play. Maybe if James McCarthy was available, play him at the base of the diamond. Uh, Jay Malumby, Conor Horahan, um, Jason I think Knight, Harry maybe. Has been decent in that position, Gary. To be honest, I think he's he's done okay there. I think he gives more of an option coming for the ball than McCarthy does. I think McCarthy's a better player in that specific position. But I think when Horahan drops deep, he gets the ball well, and he obviously has a really good left foot and can find passes. Doesn't always do it at, for for Ireland. I think he did it more for Villa. But I do think in those games when we needed to sit in that position, I thought he done quite well. Yeah, I mean, he, he's done. He has done done quite well there. Um, ultimately, I suppose I'd like to see James McCarthy, but that's a fully fit yeah. James McCarthy. Who unfortunately he's he's not fit at the moment. He's been out for a few weeks again, so uh, well, I don't I know, know what uh, the issue I know is he there. Was, he, well, his dad had died as well, so that was yeah. the reason why he missed out in our last couple of games because his, his dad passed away, and I think his dad's funeral was only a few weeks ago as well. He also picked up an injury. I think he's been out because yeah, um, I, I don't think um, he, he certainly wasn't on the pitch for Palace today. I don't know if he was on the no, bench actually. I think he was on the bench but, for, uh, for a Liverpool game. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah, so maybe he's so, hopefully um, coming back and maybe get a run out soon then as well. Um, yeah, it could be it, it could be an option, David. I mean, that would that would get to the, the two up front as well. Um, so, but again, it's probably what Stephen wants to play and whether, I mean, look, look, the next game we have is Serbia away in Belgrade in this absolutely crucial World Cup qualifier. I mean, if we can get a result in Belgrade, it sets up the whole campaign. If we're to lose, if we lose in Belgrade, we really are behind the eight ball uh, from the the get go, and then the pressure really comes on because uh, okay, we've Luxembourg at home, which will be obviously a must win, but it's no, it's not a guaranteed win. And after the Qatar friendly, we have I think Portugal away is our next game, albeit not till September. Um, our next competitive game. I'm sure we will have games in June. But um, so let's say two of our first three games in World Cup qualifying are away to the two big teams in the group. So um, it's it's a very difficult start. And I don't think we'll see too, mo too much experimentation at that point. But maybe in the Qatar friendly and in whatever games we have in June, we might see different formations and, and some experiments in those. And who knows as well what players may come through in that time as well because you know we've seen players come through this season that probably we didn't consider last season stuff like that so there may be players that can come through um that will will be looked at uh dwayne st he also said um 
great stuff lads happy christmas paul to the whole family bro thank you Dwayne. happy christmas to you too um he just had asked there how do you think jack will get on in cyprus obviously jack Byrne. Is, for anyone who may not know jack Byrne is 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 i suppose he's set to sign for Applewell nicosia where mick mccarthy is manager and obviously mick the, the manager who gave him his ireland this was well, first cap uh for ireland and his debut and um obviously really rates jack and he obviously seen this as, a, as an opportunity to sign an irish international who he's seen up close knows what he can offer probably sees the ways in which he could probably mold jack and, and get him to be better if he's working on him on a day-to-day basis and probably terry connor as well so i think it's a shrewd move by by Applewell and, and mick and i do think that if anyone's going to get the best out of him i think mick will because mick seems to have that thing about him with players they seem to love him they, he just he's a real people person he's a you know if he likes it you know he'll go out of his way for you. Like I actually, I'd sent him a, a, a happy Christmas text there the other day and he sent me a big long text back. Like, it's just a nice man. And if he likes you, he will, I find anyway that he, he will have a lot of time for you. And I think that's what exactly what Jack needs right now is someone who has a lot of time for him, who, you know, will know how to play to his strengths. And also if he's feeling homesick or whatever, will accompany him. And it's nice to have another Irish man there. And you'll say, people say he's English, blah, blah, blah. It's nice to have another Irish man there. Yeah, I mean, first of all, is a couple of things. The Cypriot League. I mean, some of us, like myself, longer than the truth, will remember a time when our clubs would routinely beat teams from Cyprus. I mean, I'm going back. I remember Cork Cibs, both the likes of Bowes winning home and away in European ties against teams from Cyprus. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Their league has gone. Has had significant investment. It's gone from strength to strength. I think they're ranked 15th in Europe at the moment ahead of leagues, uh, far ahead of leagues that we traditionally would have been a lot stronger. Uh, I like the fact that Jack hasn't gone to England because his style of play, I think a continental style of play suits him. He will have more time on the ball. He'll be expected to pass the ball more in Cyprus. So from that, it's it's a good thing. And it's great, yeah, that, that he will have Mick to manage him. Uh, the only concern I'd have is, I mean, Apoel would be traditionally one of the, the big two or three teams in Cyprus, along with Ammonia, etc. They're, they're not on a great run. They were beaten again today, um, beaten 1-0 by a team whose name I can't even remember and don't recognise. And they took a bit of a hammering by their big rivals, Ammonia, there just before Christmas. So they're actually down in ninth position in the Cypriot League. And unfortunately, they have a habit of changing their manager very often. So uh, hopefully results will improve for them because the Cypriot League splits. And I mean, if they end up in the, the they're currently in the bottom half. And if they end up in the, the, well, if they end up in the relegation, the bottom half, it's it's not going to go down well with fans, the board, etc., and because uh, they would expect Apoel to be up there at least challenging for the title and certainly qualifying for Europe. And you're at a club like that. And uh, so, uh, but from Jack Bourne's perspective, it's definitely, uh, it's a, if it happens, I know Dan McDonald has said he's flying out there and he's having talks with them, etc. So it sounds like it will happen. It will be a great opportunity for him. Um, it's a chance to play in a league where he will get time on the ball. He'll get a chance to pass the ball to make an impression. And 
hopefully it works out because Jack is a special talent. And uh, just another midfielder, actually, we didn't mention that came to mind playing abroad is Josh Cullen, who's playing regularly in the Anderlecht side as well. And another, like Apoel, another big team uh, that probably are not playing at the level. So they're playing in mid-table. Mid Josh is playing recently he's got his place back in the team and again a team that would expect to be i mean you're talking about the belgian league you're saying standard club bruges and anderlecht are the top three teams and normally they're one two and three in whatever order and anderlecht are much uh well they're down mid-table at the moment they're they're well off the the pace but it is good to see josh playing and again another player who the continental style of football suits and uh it is good, particularly with Brexit coming down the pipe, that we are looking at the continental leagues because um, that's a whole other ball game with developing players in the future. That England won't be an option for players now until they turn eighteen. So um, it is good that players are broadening the horizon. That we see the likes of Josh Collin playing in Anderlecht, Jack Bourne playing probably in Cyprus, and maybe we'll see more of our players playing. On the continent in um, in the years to come. Yeah, well, I, I agree. It was Josh Cullen kind of slipped under the radar a little bit. Doesn't really get much recognition in terms of the Irish team. He kind of comes in and plays bit part and friendlies. Just uh, Dwayne there, so that must be Dwayne Staunton. I do remember it. Um, he just says you don't remember it. I am one of the twins. Aaron played for your dad's team. I'm a massive fan of the channel. That was obviously in the Broadford Rovers days many moons ago. But uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Um, Iceman Iyer says, gonna lose Egan and Stevens this year. Duffy not playing at Celtic, very bad year. I think, I don't know. I think Egan and Stevens could get picked up by someone next year. I've watched Sheffield United closely the other night against Everton. Felt as though they didn't do a whole lot wrong. They just can't score goals. And it's up the other end of the field in which they're really struggling. They're losing a lot of games 1 0. They're not. You know they're not playing badly. They just can't score the goal. And you mentioned it earlier about Robbie Keane being the difference in some games where you scored the one goal and that completely changes the games on its head. And I think that's the only thing that Sheffield United right now are struggling with. So I don't think as though even if they get relegated, I still don't see it as as uh, as it being their fault, so to speak. And I still don't see you know them specifically having a bad season. I know. Okay, they they haven't won a game and stuff like that, but it's not it's up to the lads to defend, but they can't defend everything if you're not scoring goals up the other end of the pitch. Gary, what do you think? Yeah, I mean I haven't seen too much of Sheffield United, but they had a fantastic season last season. Um, certainly before lockdown, and probably a little bit unfortunate to miss out on qualifying for Europe. And uh they come back and uh yeah, I mean, the results have been disappointing. And it, it does, as you say, the, the issue does seem to be in scoring goals. I don't think Enda Stevens or uh, John Egan are playing particularly badly for for them. And uh, hopefully the things will turn around. But it's very hard with the gap at the bottom. It is actually very hard to see them stay up. But, I mean, it's not that long, long ago since John Egan was talked about as being one of the best defenders in the, the Premier League. Uh, Shane Duffy at Celtic, I, I know well, he was on the team that won the Scottish Cup there last week, so I don't think he's exactly lost his place. I don't know if he didn't play uh, their last game. Uh, part of the problem for Shane is, I mean, Shane is one of those, he's a defender, and, and I mean that very much kind of an old-fashioned centre-half. 
and he's played in teams like Brighton where they've been pushed back, defending uh, Blackburn, you know, fighting for their survival. Or, and he goes to Celtic in a league where, let's be honest, I mean, those Celtic and Rangers are the top two teams in Scotland. Week in, week out, they're normally pushing up on teams, trying to, teams that are sticking 10 men behind the ball. And uh, their their centre-halves and their defenders are playing very much a high line, playing near the halfway line. And it's a different type of defending. And Shane can get caught out for pace and uh, these teams can go on quick breaks. And, and, and Look, maybe it was the wrong move for him, but then you're saying he's gone to the team he supported as a child and he's just won a trophy, which I think is the first trophy we've seen in your career as well. So... Um, yeah, there's there's pros and cons for it. I mean, he's still, uh, from an Irish perspective anyway, he's still very much a crucial part uh, of well, our side captain, going forward. He? He's the captain. And, and he's when played James well for good. us. Yeah, he's played well for us. I mean, Shane didn't have a, a bad autumn. I know he's got a, a lot of criticism for his performances in the Scottish League. But... Um, and part of that could be because Celtic are so far behind Rangers and they want someone to, to pin the blame on. But um, it's he Shane has played very well for us and it's we play a different style of football than Celtic do because uh, we're, we're not camped on the halfway line trying to batter teams down. Maybe against Luxembourg and Azerbaijan we might be, but not normally. And we certainly won't be playing that style of football against Serbia or Portugal. So... It will be more of a backs-to-the-wall effort. It will be more uh, pure defending. And uh, I suppose the other point is that Shane isn't the type of player, the the John Stones or even the John Egan type of player, to bring the ball out at his feet and, and pass the ball as much. Darroche, yeah. I mean, if you want players who can pass the ball, uh, the likes of John Stones, I mean, it's... Uh, Shane isn't that type of defender, and uh, I know, I suppose you could say in modern football, there's a push to have a goalkeeper who's more comfortable with the ball at his feet. I know it's probably destroyed Joe Hart's career, who I thought was actually, no, he's not Irish, but he was a fine keeper for Man City in England, and he hasn't been the best with the ball at his feet. I'm even going back to our own Packy Bonner. When the back pass rule came in, Packy was a fine goalkeeper, but he couldn't deal with the or struggle to deal with back with back passes even when there was much less focus on the keeper being the I don't know the quarterback or the one of the players who would uh, be expected to pass the ball as much so I mean it's different requirements uh, defenders center halves these days they're expected a lot more to pass the ball to bring the ball out uh, rather than the old-fashioned bread and butter defending which I think Shane Duffy is so good at and uh, so, yeah, I'm maybe going around the house a bit on this, but yeah, that's. I think there's an argument that maybe there could be a case for if we want to play football out from the back, we have Darrow Shea come in for Shane Duffy, and if we want to be ultimately defending, you know, we know we're going to be defending, then bring in Shane Duffy to just defend. There could be that aspect, but it, it seems a bit mad going back a year ago. Shane Duffy was our best player. To even thinking about dropping him is is crazy. But I suppose that's testament to how well Darrow Shea has done when he's came in. But just moving on there quickly, uh, David Salter again. Um, he just says, "Will it be the norm for young Irish players to play for LOI clubs or academies in mainland Europe?" Happy Christmas, Jess. I think with that. I heard Dan McDonald on the off the ball the other day. He just said like 
people aren't prepared for that. Like there's been no real discussion from Rude Doctor and I suppose the people that are involved with the leagues and stuff like that of, of what is actually going to happen. So I don't think anybody's actually prepared from the FAI's point of view with those things. From what I heard anyway, it was Joe Malloy and, and Dan McDonald the other day talking about it on off the ball. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Is it going to be a case where the players are going to come in and play League of Ireland? The, the, the likes of, say, your Troy Parrots and stuff like that of the future. Are they going to be playing League of Ireland now and then making their way when they reach 18 to, as you said, in uh, clubs in, in in England because of Brexit? Yeah, it's actually, it's a big worry, Paul. It really is because, I mean, look, some of our clubs like Shamrock Rovers out in Roadstone, Bowes and Kevins, etc., they're doing fantastic work with their academies, but they're light years behind what happens in England. I mean, you take the likes, I'm going to reel off some clubs like Man City, etc. They have dozens of quality coaches and the contact hours those coaches spend with the young players is dwarfs what happens in Roadstone or anything like that. We just don't have the coaching, the hours, the time, the money to invest in that. And Prior to Brexit, our players, the, the special talents, the likes of the Troy Parrots, uh, who have a real chance of making it, they, they can go over at 16. And, and those years are crucial in their development. I mean, you watch uh, under 16, under 17 national teams, and players can look really good, but they have to develop and develop so much from 17 to 19. And, and those that don't develop fall by the wayside. So it is a big worry because because of Brexit, England uh, is no longer an option. So the, the options still exist to go at 16. So your Troy Parrots could still go to the Real Madrid, to Barcelona, to Borussia Dortmund, to Bayern well, Munich. Zeffi, you know, is linked with, with Inter Milan and has been for, I don't know, probably the last six months. Yeah, but traditionally, our, our players haven't gone. I mean, traditionally, it's always been looked at going to England. You know, I mean, the likes of Gavin Bazuno going to City, Cuevin Kelleher over at Liverpool. So, traditionally, we've normally looked at England. Um, I, I think our special talents do need to go away at 16, but it's it's a much bigger step. I mean... It's hard enough for a 16-year-old going away to England. You're going to a foreign country, but at least you have the language and everything. You go to you go to Inter, you go to Barcelona, you go to Borussia Dortmund. I mean, you're going, well, you're going further away from home. You're going to a country where English is not the first language. And it's going to be much more, much more difficult for, for a young player being away from home like that. But... Uh, so it is a worry because our special talents are going to need the the contact hours and the, the coaching, the top quality coaching to develop as players. And if nothing is done, it's going to lead to huge problems in, in the years to come because we're, we're going to miss out because we won't have the we just won't have the exposure to that level of coaching. Yeah, in short term, it will be good for the League of Ireland in to some extent in that a lot more players are going to stay at home and possibly go across later. And for some players, that will be a good thing. I know we've seen quite a few players come back and go back again. Maybe Jack Burns an example there. But they won't have had the same level of coaching, the same sort of contact hours, etc. And that's 
that will be a concern for developing players for the national team in the future. Well, the only thing I would say is if you were speaking about players going to abroad and stuff like that, I don't think that's an issue anymore. I think most countries you want to go to these days, people will speak English and the majority of people around the place will speak English. And Robbie Keane was on um, Jimmy Bullard's new show, Off the Hook, the other day, and he was talking about it. He was saying like when he went over, the only two players that spoke English when he was abroad, and I know he was 20, I think he was 20 years of age, and... Um, he was saying that only Christian Vieri and Clarence Seedorf were the only two players who spoke English there and he was just saying it's it's all different now everywhere you go now everyone can speak English so don't think that would be so much of a worry what you're saying there about you know um, the the contact errors and stuff like that even when you you, you I've heard about Damien Duff how many times have we heard about him people saying oh well you know he wants to have the, the kids in for this or that or he has it he seems like he has it nailed on but he gets abuse for, for almost being too hands on. But they're the kind of hours you need to put in. That I appreciate. That's before school and after school and something like that. But if you want to be as dedicated and be the absolute best, then I think that's the way you have to go about it. And he would have known firsthand from being over there. He's one of our best players that has come out of Ireland in the last twenty years. Like he, he's definitely top five. Uh, Damien is one of the best players, but potentially he's one of the best coaches as well. And uh, such a thinker about the game. And yeah, I mean, I take your point about the language and people speaking English. But if you go to Italy, you go to Spain, you go to Germany. Yeah, particularly maybe in Germany, yeah, pretty much everybody will speak English. But the first language there is going to be German. So you are going to be dealing with uh, another language as well. And even just, not just when you're in the academy, if you're going just where you're living and everything, you you need to, you need to learn the language and it's another it's another thing for the players to learn and it's another another level of difficulty and it makes it harder for young guys at 16 years of age it's uh it's 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 a big ask for people i mean uh, to move to a foreign countries hard enough but it's a lot easier to move to liverpool or manchester um which it's only a, an hour's flight away than to move to the likes of Dortmund or Milan or Barcelona, Munich, wherever. Um, so that, that'll be a concern. And uh, yeah, plus the education over there is, is pretty much built in and it's built around the coaching. Whereas I know Shamrock Rovers have a deal uh, with Ashfield College, etc. And they're their prospects and their academy go to Ashfield. But again, you can only get so many hours built around the education, if you know what I mean. Whereas in these academies, they can they can facilitate the tutoring around the training. Uh, so it's it's just very different. I mean, I don't think Rovers or any of our clubs or any academy is going to be in a position to provide teachers, etc., to maybe have classes in the evening or something like that. So. Um, it's going to be very difficult for our special talents, and uh, unfortunately, well, Dan, with that, that that's going to be a fact of life. Well, Dan Rose has already gone to Schalke as well, young Irish goalkeeper. There's still speculation: so, will he play for Ireland? Will he play for England? He went from Everton to Schalke, and he's only 16. So um, we have players going to clubs in 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 Europe as well, whether they develop there or not. That is to be seen still, but. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we've been on live an hour or 23 minutes and we've had comments coming in. 
um Dwayne's Staunton says of course what a gent your dad was thanks Dwayne and thanks for being a massive fan of the channel I'm uh, just going to run up through the comments real quick if there was anything um Paul Carney left the comments in happy Xmas um but that was way that was about an hour ago um he's probably gone offline there if anyone's watching actually make sure you give this video a like and uh yeah I think that is it Gary I think um we've covered all bases and we've got comments anyone who's joining drop a like and uh, don't forget to subscribe as well if you're a returning subscriber if you're watching on facebook or on twitter please um follow or like the page on facebook if you don't mind and we'll speak to you soon we might end up doing this as a weekly thing um a similar time eight o'clock or seven o'clock maybe depending on if gary has dinner ready for his daughters or not but uh, yeah, Gary, top man. Uh, great to see you. Um, and uh, I suppose I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, cheers, Paul, and a happy new year to, to everybody. Yeah, happy new year, guys. I, I hope that we'll have some stuff before the new year. Um, but take care of yourselves and be safe. All the best, guys.